Turn to your Bibles to our master text, if you will, in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I would just want to remind you that we have been on a series called Times of Refreshing. And we've been talking a lot about pruning, God's methods of pruning his people. Uh, so the master text that we're about to read is a little long, uh, 15 verses. So if you will, if you've got Philippians chapter 3, if you found that, stand up with me and let's honor the reading of the word of God. So a little bit of a lengthy one, so bear with me as I read. Finally, brothers... Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Jesus Christ, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence." And he goes on to talk about his pedigree, that he could take confidence in the flesh if he chose to. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness faultless. But whatever was to my profit, get this, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them to be rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Uh-oh, you didn't want to hear that part, did you? Becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I know that was a little bit of a lengthier master text, and we're going to come back to that here in just a little while and elaborate on some of those points. Um, but uh, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to get into some other things and then circle back around to that master text. So in that uh, picture that you see there on the screen, I chose that on purpose because the art of sculpting is a really amazing art to me. You know, I, I grew up when I was a, a younger kid, before I discovered music, up until about the age of 14 when I began playing music, I was an artist. And I was progressing pretty well. I was getting pretty good. Um, and then I ban abandoned that after I started playing guitar. Um, but I, So I have a great appreciation for artistry. But one thing that I never 
tried before is sculpting. And I just find that an amazing form of art. Because, see, in order for the artist to produce such a grand work of art, he has to chisel away everything that doesn't look like what he has in mind. And see, when you're painting a picture, you can just begin painting what you have in mind. You don't have to chisel away anything. But with the, with the sculptor, you have to chisel away everything that doesn't look like what you have in mind. And folks, I hope you understand the analogy. This is exactly what God is in the process of doing with you and me every day, even right now. Chiseling away everything that doesn't look like Christ. But in order to be shaped by the master, we have to submit to that chiseling process. And if we continue to submit to that chiseling process, then the final outcome will be something beyond what you could have imagined. Something a bit like this. Look at this sculpture right here. Now, I don't know how well you can see that, but that is the uh, mother, the Mary of Jesus, uh, with his dead body after he'd been crucified on her lap. And I just want you to look at that, the fabric of her gown there, and just the amazing and just so lifelike, perfect detail in a sculpture. An artist had to peck away and pound away every little thing that doesn't look like that fabric that's hanging off her lap there. I just think that it's mind-blowingly amazing art. Now, by the way, we have a couple of young artists in our congregation, Lily and Samara, um, who are just wonderful artists. And if you've ever seen any of their work before, uh, they're not sculptors that I know of, but they're wonderful drawers and painters. And wow, if you've seen some of their work, you ought to check that out. So maybe we can have a little uh, art day where we bring in some of their art someday and display them because they're really impressive. And they're just young ladies. And they do a great, great job with their art. So I just want to commend you young ladies for the the great work that you do. Uh, have a great appreciation for art, as I, as I mentioned. So my, my key concept this morning is this. God isn't just taking away when he prunes us. He's faithfully at work making room to add. That's a very important key concept. See, God isn't just interested in taking away. He's faithfully at work making room to add strength, productivity, and spiritual power to your life. And the end result of that pruning process will be more peace and joy and fruitfulness in your life than you ever could have had hanging on to your own ways. See, remember, it was Jesus who said that if you hang on to your life, paradoxically, you're going to lose it. But if you lay your life down for me in the sake of the gospel, he said, then you're going to find true life. Praise the Lord. All right then. So what are God's primary areas of pruning then? Well, last week we looked at pruning through unjust treatment and how to respond when people treat you unjustly and how to see that and respond to that as if it was pruning from the Lord and uh, how to respond appropriately. Now today, we're going to look at two more areas where God invites us to lay our lives down and to give him the right to prune us where it might hurt the most. But before I do that, I want to say this. You know, in this series, we've been talking a lot about pruning. So 
it might seem that, like there's a lot of bad news in this series because we've been talking about pruning and pruning involves some discomfort, right? But I'm telling you folks, this is a good news message because it's in this process of pruning that transformation comes. I want to say that again. It's in this process of pruning that transformation comes. See, we all want our transformation to be a quick and easy process, like putting your food in the microwave and transforming it from cold to hot, easy and painless. God's method of pruning isn't always like that. Sometimes it does involve some sacrifice and discomfort, but it's always good because that's how transformation comes. You see, the vine dresser's goal, God the vine dresser, it's his goal to bring you closer to the perfect and complete image of Christ. That's his goal. So doesn't the word of God tell us that even though he refines us like silver, which involves some heat, that the end result of that is that he brings us to a place of abundance? Remember I quoted that last week? He brings us to a place of abundance through that pruning process. So how many of you know that the best stuff in life is usually not free? It usually costs you something. Is that true? Now, I mentioned my guitar playing uh, when I was a, a young teen a minute ago, so I want to elaborate on that for a minute because I want to make a point about this. So I took up the guitar at the age of 14, and I remember how painful it was at first because my fingers were very tender, and, and I didn't have any calluses on, the, on my fingers yet, so I remember that they would, uh, they would blister and crack and bleed, uh, and I didn't even see that much results at first from all that pain uh, because I just couldn't get my fingers to do what I wanted them to do. And I remember getting so frustrated one time while I was working on some new guitar chords that I was learning and I couldn't get my fingers to do what I wanted them to do. I got so frustrated that I just got up and threw my guitar on the bed in a fit of exasperation. But then I got over that and... I continued to work and uh, apply myself, and in about 90 days, I was playing some simple songs on the guitar pretty well, and that's all it took. I was hooked. Well, after that, you know, practicing wasn't a, uh, a chore anymore. It was actually a pleasure because I wasn't just focusing on the discipline. I was focusing on the end result. Are you with me? So my point is this, if you look at pruning with the right attitude, you're not just focused on the present pain or discomfort of the pruning, you're focused and looking forward to the end result of God's pruning in your life. Are you with me? All right, so let's talk about today another couple of methods of pruning that God might use in your life. And this first one is the people you love the most. The people you love the most. Well, well, what do I mean by that? Well, God may be inviting you to follow Christ in a way that takes you out of the favor and support of some of your most loved family members, even possibly enduring their rejection. If you read Matthew chapter 10, you see that Jesus said that in a household, there may be some that, there may be three that are for me and two that are against me, or 
two that are for me and three against me. So there's a division even within households sometimes. So that's just a reality of us walking with Christ. Sometimes we'll have to endure the rejection of some of our most loved family members. And if that's what you're going through, if you've experienced something like that, then he's pruning closely to what really matters to you, not to take something away from you, but to test your heart and allow him to become the Lord of all that you desire. Now, in some cases, God may be asking you to even prune off that friendship or prune off that romance that's not having a good influence on your life right now. See, he, he may even be asking you, get this, he may even be asking you, and he does this with some people, he may even be asking you to give up your right to be married someday or to even have children. Will you follow God that far, regardless of what he asks of you? See, biblically, we see this type of pruning play out in the life of Abraham, where uh, uh, his son Isaac was concerned. You remember that Abraham had been asking for and believing God for a son for 25 years. 25 years he stood in faith for Isaac. And then Isaac finally came. He finally had his miracle son. But then a few years after that, God asked him to do something very difficult, asked him to sacrifice his miracle child. You remember that? So had Isaac become an idol to Abraham? We don't quite know. The text doesn't tell us. Did he love Isaac more than he loved the God who gave Isaac to him? Well, how Abraham responded to that would answer that question. And, of course, we remember that Abraham did respond appropriately to that request. And he did begin to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. But then God put a stop to it and gave Isaac back to him because he saw that his heart was more set on God than even the gifts of God. Boy, I I need to say that again. You, You need to get that. In Abraham's case, God saw that Abraham's heart was set more on God than the gifts of God. Okay? And I just love, this is a side note here, but I just love how the scriptures describe uh, Abraham that he was confident that even if he went through with a sacrifice, that God was going to raise Isaac back up because that was God's promise to Abraham. And Abraham had faith in that promise. So he was willing to go through the sacrifice if that's what it took because he knew that, okay, if I sacrifice him, then God's just going to raise him back up because this is, this is God's promise to me. And he had faith in that. Okay, so that's powerful faith right there. But where God's pruning shears in the relationships in our lives are concerned, did you know that there's a lot of people in our culture today, folks, that are codependent? Did you know that? They have to have someone else in their life to make them feel secure and significant. And I want to address that. See, God might be trying to strike at the heart of that kind of idolatry in your life. I want to give you a little bit of a personal testimony along those lines. You know, uh, you, you know my testimony. I came to the Lord when I was about 26 years of age, and I was a big partier and stuff prior to coming to the Lord. Uh, and there was, I was just used to people being around me all the time. I was just very used to having a lot of interaction with people. Well, when I made that commitment to serve the Lord, I realized a lot of those relationships had to be pruned out of my life because I just couldn't 
I just couldn't be involved in that crowd and walk with the Lord like I wanted to. So I pruned out all of those displeasing relationships, all of them. So I remember going over to my buddy's house one time shortly after I'd made that commitment to, so the, and this guy was my best friend, and I was sitting with him and another guy, two or three other guys, and, and they were just the, the same old guys as ever, and I, something occurred to me. I was sitting there in his house, hearing them talk, like we always talked, and I realized, you know what? This isn't going to work anymore. It's like oil and water. It just isn't going to work anymore. And so for the first six months after I gave my heart to the Lord, I was pretty lonely because all, all of that activity, all of that white noise that I had around me going on all the time with all the people and the parties and the activity, all that was gone. God stripped it out of my life. And he gave me the choice. Are you going to walk with me or are you going to go back to your old crowd? And I said, I'm going to walk with you. Then it required a, a time of several months where I was actually kind of lonely. But God could put new people into my life. Hallelujah. Praise God. So that's a, 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 an example right there of how God may require you to prune some people out of your life and relationships that are not productive to you. Nothing against, against them. You know, I continue to pray for my old crowd, even today. Uh, but uh, that's just not, those are not close associations that God wants me to have, if that makes sense to you. See, you and I must come to the point, folks, and I'm going to hit you where it hurts right now with this one. You and I must come to the point that there is no one, not even a, a spouse or a child, a brother or a sister, that's more important to you than God is. See, we need to follow this passage right here, Matthew 10, 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. As a mother or a father, you read those words, and that's almost a little bit of a difficult pill to swallow, isn't it? But God gave you those children. See, I'm convinced, folks, listen to this. I'm convinced that many Christians love their children more than they do God who gave those children to them. And here's the reason I believe that. See, they will follow God. I've observed this as a pastor. I've been a pastor 13 years now and was in various forms of ministry for a really long time, um, for roughly 28, 29 years um, prior to today. So I've been in ministry a long time. I've seen a lot of people come and go. I've, I've rubbed shoulders with a lot of people. And I've seen this, that there's people that will follow God up to a point but when push comes to shove, they will always favor their children over the things of God. And you know what that is? It's idolatry. It's idolatry. See, folks, listen to me. The very best place that your children can be is in God's hands. So release them to him and trust him for their well-being. And what does that look like in practical terms? Well, it may look like you making decisions for the sake of the things of God and the priorities of God that are not popular with your children. Who are you going to honor? Your children or God? Because the decision that you make 
could actually change the trajectory of your family. For example, maybe your family loves to go to movies or watch certain TV shows and then you get a conviction, no, you know what? This family honors God, so this show's not allowed in our house any longer. That particular movie that it's being hyped so much right now, I know some of the content of that movie and, and we're not gonna go to that because our family honors God. That kind of music in our house it's not going to be here because this is a family that honors God. This is a family that honors the house of God. This is a family that sets time aside to read and pray together periodically. You prioritize the things of God regardless of how your kids feel about it. You're going to let your kids dictate the trajectory of your family? You're going to let your kids dictate it? I guarantee you that won't turn out well. I can guarantee you that will not turn out well, okay? Parents, you are, you're put on this earth as your children's parents, not their best friends. And when I say that, I realize, because I'm like this too, I want to be my kids' best friends. I want to be. But there's times where I have to set that aside to be their disciplinarian or their guide, right? Even if it's not popular with them. And there are times when the decisions that I make and the words that I say are not popular with my kids. But I've got to be a dad first. There, there's going to be a time later on when, I don't know why I'm going off on this. It's not even when I'm in my notes. I didn't. <laughs> Holy Spirit, I guess. Um, there's going to be a time when you, you'll get to be best friends with your kids later. And then they'll appreciate, there's going to be a time where, especially in the teenage years, your kids don't really appreciate all the restrictions, all the guidance, all the rules, blah, 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 blah. And then they may not be ha very happy with you for a while, but then later on they see your wisdom. And then they go, yeah, you know what, mom and dad knew what they were talking about. I'm so glad mom and dad protected me from this or, or me. In, in, in the word, kept me, kept me in a youth group, kept me in church, um, and protected me from all these other things that could have taken me off course. I'm so glad that they, they had rules about who I hung out with. Don't let your kids just hang out with anybody for Pete's sake or just watch anything for goodness sake. That was for free. Does that speak to anybody? Hallelujah. Praise God. Release your kids to the Lord because if you do that, if you prioritize the things of God, you'll never be sorry that you did that. Trust him for their well-being. Praise God. All right, so the people that you love the most could be a primary area of pruning that God uses in your life. But what's another primary area of pruning? How about the source of your significance? That's the second one we'll deal with today. The source of your significance. Let me give you a passage here. Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7 says this. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence. And do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. All right? So basically what it's saying is, don't, don't assert yourself 
and try to make yourself appear to be more important than you actually are. Humble yourself, and then when you get exalted, then the people around you will be impressed. But if you have to, if you just are so insecure that you have to try to exalt yourself, and then you get humbled by somebody, uh, not a good scenario. Uh, the Proverbs, and, Je- and Jesus actually repeated this in his ministry, um, is giving us good wisdom along these lines. Put your source of significance aside. Put your, put your desire to exalt yourself for the, the, the sake of your significance aside and let God exalt you in due time. See, the prize at stake here is your God-given need, and it is a God-given need, your God-given need for a sense of worth and purpose. We all have that. But God may ask us to lay that down so that he can exalt us in his method in due time. Am I making sense to anybody? Now, for Abraham, his sense of self-worth was tied up in his miracle son, Isaac, which God asked to be given back to him. All right? There was also a man named Gideon, you remember. And his sense of self-worth was tied up in his vast army that God required to be trimmed down to a mere 300 people. Well, let me ask you, what is your sense of self-worth tied to? Just think about that for a second. Let me give you just a brief moment to think about that. What is your sense of self-worth tied to? Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's your ministry. Maybe it's your intelligence. Maybe it's your looks. God may take aim at some of those very things so that what is left behind is a sense of self-worth that's tied only to him. I'm going to say that again. Whatever it is that you're getting your sense of self-worth for, that, is, that could possibly morph into a form of idolatry if you're not careful. And God may take aim at some of those very things so that what's left over is a sense of self-worth that's tied only to him. Praise God. For the Apostle Paul, his sense of self-worth prior to meeting Christ was uh, his higher education and his pedigree as a Pharisee and a staunch keeper of the law. But toward the end of his life, we see a a rare thing indeed in the Apostle Paul. A, A man who had been so pruned by God that there was nothing left of his self life, nothing left to take pride in except Christ himself. Hallelujah. Now, I want to go back to our master text and re examine some things in that for just a moment or two here. So let's uh, reread verses uh, 7 and 8 here. Um, but whatever was given to me, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Here's the words of a thoroughly pruned man. Now, you may be thinking, well, sure, a a spiritual giant like the Apostle Paul can lead a life of radical pruning, but is that what God requires of me as well? Well, don't miss Paul's closing exhortation in that passage in verse 15. He says this, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. In other words, what he's saying here, 
is the attitude that we need to take on as well. There's nothing that I take pride in except Christ himself. Nothing that I boast in except Christ himself. Nothing that gives me my self-worth more than Christ himself. And if you're willing to follow Christ that far, folks, if you're finally so surrendered to him that everything that you tend to take pride in, even some worthy activities and goals that are not sin, um, if you're totally submitted to him in that way, then what's left over is a person that's ready to bear extravagant fruit for the kingdom. See, the truth is, Christians who have experienced this deep kind of pruning don't focus on what's left behind anyway. See, they're always given to courageous, hope-filled, forward-thinking mindsets like the Apostle Paul had. Let's continue reading again from the master text that we opened up with. Not that I have already obtained all this, he writes, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You see that forward-thinking mindset that he had? He wasn't concerned about what he left behind. He had a forward-thinking mindset, praise God. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. There it is. He's not concerned about what he left behind. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Now let me, by the way, let me also speak to something Paul left behind as well, or endeavored to do so. You know, when I talked about Christians who have experienced deep pruning don't concern themselves with what's been left behind, I'm really using that um, to suggest that there's some things that maybe we loved that God pruned out of our lives, either sinful things or things that are not sinful, maybe that are neutral or good, that you're just spending way too much time on and when you could be more fruitful for the kingdom. But there's also things that I'm sure haunted Paul from his previous life before he came to the Lord. It must have haunted him. Think about it. He dragged Christians out of their homes, threw them in prison, separated family members, executed some because they were Christians. Do you not think that there's demonic voices whispering in his ear, who do you think you are? Look what you did. That had to haunt him. It had to. Some of your sins and mine haunt me. And it wasn't even that bad compared to what Paul did. But the devil will use that against you if you let him. We have to forget what is behind. Forget what is behind. And strain toward what is ahead. And press on toward the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. Folks, some of your betrayals and hurts, because I addressed that earlier in our ministry time. Some of your betrayals and hurts. You have to forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead, and press on toward the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. God is faithful. He will use those betrayals, those hurts, whatever it is that you've been through, and we have all been through stuff. He will use that because he's faithful 
to weave into the fabric of your life and create something beautiful and fruitful for the kingdom. Praise God. So even the stuff that we would love to go back and change in our past, it's actually because God is so faithful, forged us into the person that we are today, bearing fruit for his kingdom. You, I don't think you're excited enough about that point right there. Isn't that good news? Hallelujah. I think back on some of the junk I experienced growing up as a kid that I had no control over. I was somebody else's collateral damage. If I had my druthers, I'd go back and change that because some of that affects me as a person today. But you know what it does for me? Listen to me. You know what it does for me? It keeps me broken before the Lord. Because I realize that there's brokenness in me. I realize that there's weak areas in me that are a result of how I was raised. There's propensities in me that are not good, that are sinful, because of the way that I was raised, that if I'm not careful, can affect my present. But you know what it does? It keeps me humble before the Lord and totally always seeking him for his help. Lord, help me in this area. I know I'm broken. You know, Stephen Curtis Chapman has a great song that says, we're all broken. We're all broken, including your pastor. We're all broken. We all bring our brokenness to the table and allow God to take those broken places and heal them and use them for his glory. Isn't he wonderful? Just, just take a praise break for just five seconds here. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right, so coming down home stretch here. All right, so how are you going to respond to the vine dresser then? See, how you respond to the shears of the vine dresser makes all the difference in your destiny. Makes all the difference in your destiny. You know, you have the right, ladies and gentlemen, to cling to whatever you want to cling to, right? And justify it for a number of reasons. You know, sometimes people cling to things that are even good or neutral. They don't even have to necessarily be sinful. People cling to things that are neutral or good that God may be trying to prune out of your life or prune back in your life because they're way too much of an emphasis in your life. Sometimes, honestly, sometimes God even has to prune back ministry in some people's lives because it crowds out their intimate time with the Lord. They're working way too hard for him, but not spending nearly as much time with him. Does that make sense? Okay. Sometimes God even has to prune ministry for certain reasons. I was saying last week that God has been at work pruning back my TV time. And, you know, I don't watch questionable stuff. You know, I mean, I don't watch a trash TV. You know, I don't watch sitcoms and, you know, R-rated movies and junk. I don't, I, I don't, I mean, I just don't watch that stuff. But, you know, I'm probably spending a little bit too much time watching even educational and inspirational things on YouTube and Andy Griffith and, you know, some of my favorite things, right? Um, so even though I don't wa watch questionable stuff, God is dealing with me about even the time I do spend watching TV and he's chosen to prune that back some so that I can bear even more fruit and spend my time in more fruitful endeavors. 
See, if, if I were to just justify my TV watching time and cling to it selfishly, and then I'll never know what God has in mind for me. Right? I think whatever it is that God has in store for me is far better than my TV time anyway. Wouldn't you agree with that? Praise God. So this is kind of a key concept right here for you too. Our loving Heavenly Father is looking for vessels that are emptied of self so He can fill you with Himself. Man, I want to say that again. Write that down in your bulletin. Our loving Heavenly Father is looking for vessels that are emptied of self so that he can fill you with himself. And I'm telling you folks, listen, I saw a road sign one time that said, there, there is no one so empty as the one who is full of self. Hello. There's no one so empty as the one who is full of self. So God is wanting you to be emptied of self so he can fill you with himself. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy and fruitfulness and productivity for the kingdom and healing for you and your family. Not just physical healing, but emotional healing as well. Praise the Lord. All right. I'm going to end with this right here. A familiar verse from Jeremiah 29, 11, but I want to put a little bit of a different spin on it this morning for you. It says this, For I know the plans and thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Well, why do I want to end on this? Because, again, as I said in the, the early part of my teaching, um, this whole series that we've been on, when we've talked about John chapter 15 and the pruning process that the vine dresser takes us through, may seem like a lot of bad news because, once again, pruning involves discomfort. It's uncomfortable to let go of certain things that you enjoy or that, uh, you know, God may be just saying, hey, you spend way too much time on that. I'd like for you to prune that back so that you can spend more time in my presence or my, more time doing uh, uh, kingdom-related things. That may seem like a painful process. You know, another area as well. You know, I've spent many, many years of my life, I was a, somewhat of an athlete when I was um, a young man, and then a, a lot of that discipline carried over into my adult life. With, with I really loved to stay in shape and that sort of thing. I, I just I developed a love for that, which seems like really strange because working out hurts sometimes. And peop, you know, people that say you like working out, and it's like that's weird. Um, but yeah, I just really developed a love for it, and 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 I pruned that way way back when I first was started serving the Lord, you know, I was spending like 15 hours a week in the gym. Seriously, 15 hours a week. And the Lord immediately put his finger on that and said, you can't do that anymore. You can't, you can't put that much emphasis on your physical body. That thing that's decaying away, um, you can't take it with you. You can't put that much emphasis on your physical body. So I, I pruned that back. But, um, so I wasn't spending nearly that much time in the gym anymore. And um, oh, as the years have progressed, God's pruned it back more and more and more and more and more. Now, I still think for health reasons, that's still a good idea to exercise. But to put the kind of emphasis that I was putting on it for carnal and superficial reasons, God said, mm, 
Nope. You can't do that. So anyway, there's a whole lot more I could say about that, but God may, may put his finger on something that is, doesn't seem wrong to you, but for you, it may be keeping you from greater productivity for his kingdom and greater intimacy with your father. Is this making sense? Okay, praise God. So if God is trying to prune you, if he's trying to prune something out of your life today, just submit to that process. It's going to be great when you're on the other side of it, I promise. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.